we're live, Michael, or we're not actually live, we're recording, because okay. uh, I'm going on holiday this week, um, which uh, if you watch this show regularly, you'll think this guy goes on holiday all the time, but that's not actually the case. I have lots of little holidays, but I don't really have a real holiday. Um, so, this week we're on chapters five and six, nice and short. Yes, I was fond of that. Yeah, I was fond of the fact that they were nice and short too. Um, I've enjoyed... Uh, this last couple of chapters actually with five, six, and seven. Seven's where it really gets exciting. I don't know. So five. So, so I'll tell you the first thing I underlined on five. It's not a major thing really. He puts each course offers something different, but it's, it's merely a rehash of archaic selling principles. And I put in my side column there that that's actually what I really liked about the Way of the Wolf. Whether you agreed with or disagreed, disagreed with what was in the book, it wasn't a rehash of old stuff. It was new stuff that he created. And I had a lot of respect for Jordan Belford for that, actually. Did you really think it was new stuff, per se? Way the Wolf, yeah, did you? I thought Way the Wolf was a good... A good re... Was... Adding yeah. his own spin to some old well, stuff. Well, no, he had a new framework that other stuff relied upon, which oh, I quite liked. I, I, I wouldn't call it... I wouldn't call it blistering intellectual property. Well, I've no one to call this that. No. But anyway, chapter five is where he introduces the Sandler Submarine. My initial thought was, what a stupid metaphor. But actually, I began to like it. The, the Sandler Submarine. Yeah, did I you? don't quite get, and what I couldn't quite get is why it's a submarine. I'll tell you where his metaphor was. He said that... Oh, you've got a different submarine picture to me. Uh, maybe. Uh, I think this is for advanced uh, users. Um, what he was talking about is there are different chambers in the submarine, and then when you've gone from one chamber to another... The chamber that you have just left becomes flooded with water, so you can't enter back into it. And his metaphor was, as you move along the sales cycle, using the Sandler method, once you've closed one part of the, the uh, sale funnel, you can't go backwards. And he said, other selling methodologies you can. Now, actually, whether you can or can't move up or down it, you know, is a moot point, isn't it? But that's the basis of his metaphor. I just—I I actually sort of quite like. I that. actually sat there yesterday afternoon thinking, I don't really get this. Well, I just explained it to you. I still don't get it. Well, I'll explain it to you again then. No, don't do it again. Why? Uh, it's, a, it's a really uh, important it, principle. It, he makes a point at the start of the chat, which I thought was really useful, and and I'm I'm personally a big supporter of, which is, if you want to maximise your earnings in sales and feel good about calling yourself a salesperson, there's a lot of talking about feeling good about being a salesperson. You'll need to control every sales call. Now, I'm a big fan of control. Yeah, it's difficult when you're selling salespeople, isn't it? Because they're a big fan of it too. Yeah, you can be in control of the conversation. Well, I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah, um, but the whole concept of introducing control and how alien I find that is to a lot of people we work with, the concept of controlling a customer. And he also introduces, I'm not sure if it's in this chapter, the concept of manipulation, and actually, oh, chapter, yeah, this chapter. chapter, the chapter after, where he talks about the concept of manipulating the sale and manipulating the people in the sale, and how we shouldn't be ashamed of that. And I, I often find that people feel almost embarrassed that actually their job is to manipulate and influence to the point at which somebody makes a decision they might not ordinarily have considered. Well, we'll come on to manipulation in the next chapter. Yeah, I don't agree so, with him on that point. Um, but what do you think about this? Don't fear the no. Search for it. Um, Early on, Sandler selling tip. He says here, uh, 
you don't learn how to win by getting a yes, you learn to win by getting a no. I think he's said it loads of times, so... If you if you fear avoid the word no from prospects and customers, consider changing your focus. And he goes on about how, how people are frightened of the word no. I wrote here, um, the result of every one of these courses is sometimes you do get a say. So he talks about traditional sales training. And he said, you've got to work really, really hard to get it. I wrote here, some sales are just inevitable anyway. Yes, they are. How much of it is it? That it had nothing to do with the salesperson, and I think you know a lot of salespeople will say, "Well, I did this course and that course, and this has made a difference." I think a large proportion. If I look, I think if we took a large section of the people we're working with now in an up economy, which is what we're in. Government don't make enough noise about the fact that we're in one, but we're in one. Yes. Um, in an up economy, there's always going to be business that you're going to win. That it's because just times are good. Yeah, and, and the, you know, a better example of that is I've, I've just sold a car and it was a very specific car. My dad said to me, he said, Oh, I bet you'll find that easy selling a car, I've been a salesman. I said, Well, I don't think it's been that difficult actually, Dad, because I put it on eBay. A man has caught a plane from Plymouth to come and buy it. He's not going to not buy it. Yeah. So, actually, how much influence did I have on that? There are certain products, brands, not at all. Correct. He wanted a black, whatever it was. And he came and bought a black, whatever it was. Correct. There are certain products, certain brands, certain stuff that people are just going to buy. I think that's a much longer conversation, though. Because what he said. Because what that's talking about, and what a lot of the good candidates, I think, do is they analyse needs properly and then only go after a sale that they believe qualifies how well their solution fits that need. Yeah. And if you do that, then you sold before you sold. Yeah. So you can't influence it further down. That's not what this book is about. This book is about, and he's talking about manipulating the need to, to which it suits your yeah. product, which is a slightly different case. Absolutely, and I do think a lot of people do very well. You know, why are they talented? They're talented because they just get involved in the right fights, knowing damn well that they've got product. Yeah. yeah, I do agree with that. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Why do people sell stuff? And actually, this is the bit that all the clients and candidates don't see in terms of how we match candidates and clients to jobs, really, is in terms of how they sell and what their selling framework is. And I think a lot of the, in my personal opinion, I think a lot of what the very good selling salespeople do is they qualify and understand need very well until they find a prospect that their solution fits perfectly. Yeah. And then go after it. Yeah. And then he talks about this ideal selling system. And in his ideal selling system, he goes on about uh, prospects will deliver the presentation themselves. They will raise the I know. <laughs> They will raise the stools and objections and they will resolve them. They will qualify themselves financially, they will close the sale, and finally they will thank you for calling on them. And that's, that was the ideal selling system and how it would work. And then he starts talking about his submarine. Um, oh, that's... The, yeah, yeah, yeah. selling system. I, I skipped that. Now I put next to that, but... Hmm. I wonder. And then what he... Just, just for, the, for the listeners and the viewers at home, what he's talking about is this submarine is, starts with bonding and rapport. This is his sales process, basically. contract, pain... Budget, decision, fulfilment, and post sell. Which, uh, you know, I get that. And I, and I know he's going to talk about upfront contracting um, later on in the book. And I, 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 what I've realised a lot as I've been reading this is somewhere along the line, somebody trained me in sample sales training without me realising it. Possibly, or maybe that's just your style as a person. Yeah, quite, yeah, quite controlled. 
not that quite controlling. As I as I've got to know you very well, you never skip over small pieces of information. Yes, you're very detailed with the qualification. So the uh, uh, prospects can run from one end of the submarine to other in and out. The problem with traditional selling systems is that the prospect can run from one end of the submarine to the other in and out of compartments, and the salesperson is forced to chase the prospect. Yes. So that's what he's talking about. What he's saying is, with the Sandler system, if you have gone from, that's my submarine now, if you have gone from upfront contract to pay, you can't go back to upfront contract. Right, which is that's what I do. You filled the compartment with, with water, water and closed the door. Yeah, yeah, it's a, metaphor, it's a metaphor that he's created. And then when you've discussed budget and you come to decision, you then can't go back to budget. Because you said we've talked about budget, Mr. Glenn. No, that's what I don't really agree with, actually. <laughs> because shit happens. Because it does, yeah, 100%. Well, look at, look at sales recruitment. Uh, we've talked about budget, you're going to get off 50k basic. Right, okay, well... well somebody else offered me 70 last week, so I'm going to... No, 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 you've discussed budget. And that's where I thought... It's not... Yeah, it's a... I, 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 I didn't realise that was the point, was the... That's the as I understand it, yeah. Right, okay. And then he's talked... So, so basically, he says, once you establish rapport, you leave the compartment and move into upfront contracting, which includes the compartments of paying budget decision. You make an agreement with prospects about what's going to occur during the sales process. And once the agreement is done, the pressure is off because the sale is closed. Right, I see. And you move from compartment to compartment. Yes. I, I, I don't get the concept of closing the doors. I just think you end up back. You can end up back in other compartments. Using his metaphor, it's a fluid situation, isn't it? Yes. Okay. And then I think the bit that's really useful in this part, and maybe we'll we'll expand on it a little bit is live a straight life in an unstraight world, uh, he says, and you're going to get killed. Many salespeople fail in our profession because they can't overcome their negative view of the word manipulation. And he actually goes into dictionary definitions. And, and I'll tell you what, I really respect him for that. Um, and I respect what he says, you know, society accepts manipulations from a variety of professions, selling law, psychiatry, to name three. You wouldn't want a, le- a lawyer representing you to adhere to the principle of foolish honesty. Um, now, actually, yeah, I get it. And I, I, I mean, I'm not. Why not? Because what that says to me is that it hasn't qualified it carefully up front. Because if you what, put, that if you're manipulating, you haven't qualified. Yeah, yeah. I think of the very best salesperson that I've ever met, who you all know. His name is Tim. He's just not manipulative at all. But I'm sure if we followed him round for a month, I bet he'd go to 10 appointments, and I bet, well, he's a sales director now, so it's probably not quite correct, but I bet he'd go to 20 appointments, and he'd qualify out 19. That's, that's his greatness. That's like comparing boxers, Mike. So some great fighters are big punchers, aren't they? Yeah, of course. Yeah, some great fighters... Have a great jaw and massive heart. Some great fighters are unconventional, tricky, hard work. Tyson Fury. You know, well, Tyson Mike, Mike Fury, Tyson, let's get right, five foot ten. Yes. You love that guy, that's his greatness. Yes, it is, yes. That's his greatness, and his greatness is different to this book. So if I yes. had to say, if I had to choose between this book and his greatness and a book that he would write, I'd choose him. But that's he's your favourite fighter. Yes. Whereas I, I'm a I'm a Mike Tyson guy. I I, I want to see somebody throw an uppercut and influence the outcome of the fight. 
Well, he influenced the outcome of that. He influenced... No, no, no. Your guy picks his opponents wisely. Correct. And I wonder who wins about fights. Yeah, he, he wi- very wisely picks opponents he wants to yeah. fight. So, uh, I get that. But actually, I think, for me, the great salesmen are the ones who can prove to me they've influenced the outcome of the deal. That, right. that that's, a, that's a personal Influential point, human beings that bring something to the deal that wouldn't ordinarily have happened. Uh, that will win a deal that might not have taken place had they not been there. And when he talks about manipulation then, how do you feel about the fact that he says, well, everybody else has manipulated me, so I may as well manipulate them? I don't like that. Because that's what it's based on. The That's what he's based it on. Um, yes. but it's a it's a weak basis. That's what he's based on. He's basically said, buyers are liars, they're lying to you, so you lie to them. I'm not talking about lying. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about lying, I'm not. That's I'm fine. talking about influencing a customer to do something they wouldn't have thought I agree about. with you, but I don't agree with him. His version of manipulation is, well, everybody's out to manipulate me, so bugger it, I'll manipulate them. It's rubbish, that. And I think that if you enter into a sale with that mindset... Oh, yeah, that's what I mean. I think that's a very adversarial view with which to view the client. What an interesting say. I haven't used the word adversarial, because I'm not as clever as you. I've used combative, so he's got this chatter. Yeah. Um, He goes, then again, if all prospects were straight all the time, there would probably be a good case of full disclosure. But in the real world, prospects have learned the best way to gain the advantage over a salesperson is through manipulation. I don't like to discuss budget. Why don't you give me your best price? And, and, And then he goes on, about what we've just been talking about. He says, they're going to lie to you, so you lie back to them. And I did think to myself, I wonder if we met him. Let's say, I did, you know, obviously I have no idea what he looks like, and I don't know how old he is. Maybe I think he's brown bread. Is he brown bread now, Phil? Yeah. But let's say you met him at the age, at age 40, in a bar. Yeah. Didn't know who he was or anything, and said, and you had to guess what he did. I wonder whether you guessed whether it was a salesman. Because his role and identity are very different, the way he's written the book. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's just written a methodology that I think he's caught, I feel like he's just caught on to the fact that so many people are embarrassed about being salespeople. They are, yes, him included. Him included, and he's therefore writing this book about how to be a good salesperson when you're embarrassed about being a salesperson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which surprises me, really, because I know a lot of people that like this book have always thought of really good salespeople. A lot, yeah. of the, a lot of the advanced guys loved it. You know, I don't know what advanced do anymore, but they loved it. And there were some absolutely mega guys there. And then we move into chapter six. Yeah. Where he starts talking about dummying up. I know you'll have an opinion on this. Go on, what do you think my opinion is? Um, what do I think your opinion is? I think you're not going to be too keen on this. I'm not keen on this. I think... I used to work with a fella... Uh, called Ben Conlon. Ben, if you're watching, hey, over in Sydney, Australia. Ben's a great bloke from Australia. I worked with him when I was at Howard Jackson. Ben used to actually be very angry with people that used to do what he called Dad come the raw prawn with Nemo. <laughs> and what he used to mean was don't play the idiot. He used to hate it if you played the idiot with him. So let's say you were debating with him over a lead that you thought belonged to you. And I hadn't looked in the system. Yeah, he'd just say, mate, don't play the raw prawn with me, mate. And he'd get really vexed with it. Now, I think that's an Australian cultural thing. Don't play the idiot with me. I think Aussies see straight through it. Um, but I don't think that that... I think you've got to be very careful with who you play the idiot with 
because we're dealing with so many intelligent people. And I think, I think our people are dealing with intelligent people. We're not selling stuff that costs 10 quid. And so in our world... We're selling stuff that costs half a million pounds. Yeah, in our world, we're dealing with some very, very smart cookies. And I think if you play the idiot with people, one, I think a few people will go, don't play the Sandler idiot with me. Yeah, come on, let's spot it a mile off. I think some good ones will say, don't play the Sandler idiot with me, fella. And two, I think some people will just get vexed with it. I agree. In reality... So I've got here. I forgot. Let me see if I have it straight. I don't understand. Help me with that. I, I've got here. Not sure about this. Why can't we just be honest? I wonder what's wrong with being honest. Yeah. Dummy up phrases to incorporate into your sales vocabulary. I just didn't get. I just sort of sat there yesterday. I sat in the sun yesterday reading this, and I kind of just sat thinking, I don't get this. It really at surprised all. me. Yeah, it really surprised me. I didn't get it at all. Um, Sharon, I don't understand what you mean when you say you need to know more about the clauses in the agreement. Can you help me with that? Now I get that. He's, and he says, the salesperson is guarding against mind reading. Dumby up technique helps the salesperson gather more info. So what he's saying is don't handle the objection, but just get more is. information. Yeah, 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 which is fine. And I was always taught to listen, pause and clarify. Maybe listen, pause and clarify is a form of dummying up. So I would say, okay, so you're looking at these clauses in the contract, yes. And what I tend to do with a lot of objections is I just reflect the objection back. Now that's actually, he's working from a transactional analysis model. I'm working from a Rogerian counselling model in that scenario. So I will say to a client, client will say, you're a little bit expensive. And I'll go, hmm, I'm hearing that you feel that we're a little bit expensive. And then I'll just shut up. And then the client will then start talking about it. And, and I'll just shut up and I'll use silence, which he does talk about. And I'll wait and see. But I think this is actually, I think that's going to rub the shit out of some people. I agree. I mean, it goes on. Why are salespeople so quick to give information? I've put, I think they use it to build up credibility and rapport. Yeah, interesting. I thought some of that was quite useful, actually. Well, I have put down here, there was a phrase we have, which is the no-no the no, no better. Uh, I wrote exactly the same thing, Price. Yeah, I mean, I can see the no-no better. I do think that, that makes it that makes. And I really like it. So, so viewers, he tells a story here in the book, if you've not read it, which you should have done, because you're reading along with this, because this is book club. Um, he tells a story about how a young salesperson comes in and doesn't know any better. Because he doesn't know any better, he listens more. And what he's done is he's just give a very long-winded explanation of, shut the hell up and listen. Yes. And but he's put his own twist off playing dumb on it. Shut the hell up, listen, be innocent, be interested, be curious, and you'll get more out of the client with which you'll be able to sell to them. Yes. Um, and I get that. And, and, and he's talking about dummying up. I, I just think what he's really talking about is listening. Yes, it's talking about understanding L people. Listening with real intent. Um, and then he starts talking about dummy up responses for three typical objections. Um, prospect. How long have you been in business? Salesperson. That's an interesting question. You must have asked that for a reason. Prospect, is it guaranteed? Salesperson, supposing I said it was, what happens next? Supposing I said it wasn't. What do you think to that? I just thought, I, we've sort of summarised it really, in, a, in, as, in as much as, I think it's really clumsily and old-fashioned and badly worded, this whole chapter really. I just think that in the modern world, I think you're going to rub a lot of people up with that. 
Now, how long have you been in business? Okay, I'm hearing that you'd like to know more about how long we've been in business. I'm wondering what's happening for you that's making you consider asking about the amount of time we've been in business. Fair enough. I said I'd do that. How long have you been in business? Ten years. It's interesting you've asked that what's on your mind. Yes, give the guy an answer. Answer him! We've been in business ten years. What's on how long have you been in business? Six months. How do you feel about that? Yeah. What's wrong with that? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I get it. What does this guy say? Oh, don't answer Don't that. give anybody any information. Don't tell anybody anything. Don't give them any information. And I, and I get what his point is. I really do. What his point is, he's saying, you can create objections with the information. And he gives a great example later on about how you can create the, how you can create the objection by having given the extra information. But equally, I somebody, I was a salesperson that was on the phone to me the other week. True Totally true this. So I've got a salesperson on the blow. Good, the I'm glad <laughs> Genuinely, somebody, I'm pretty sure it was a salesperson. Somebody has asked me, I've asked somebody a question, and they've bounced back with, why are you asking? And I have, I'm vexed up about it. Yeah. Vexed up, and I've got a great, I, I've responded. But I can't remember, I think it might have been the sales guy from LinkedIn. And I've, I, I've responded very aggressively, and my answer was because I want to know the fucking answer. Yeah, 100%. So I get this, and I actually quite like it. Well, there's nothing wrong with thinking to yourself, I wonder why that person's asking me. Correct. I wrote down the side of my, my page, why, 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 why? Yeah. And actually, being inquisitive as to why they're asking the question and what the, what the iceberg underneath the tip of the iceberg is with the question. I think that's really, really, really useful. Do you know, I'm going to write a sales book one day. Somebody's going to write this now. It's going to be this thick, and I'm going to charge, how much is this? A lot. 23.95. And on the front of my sales book, it's going to have a big question mark. And then on the first page of my sales book, it's going to say, just keep asking why. Just keep asking why. And then it's going to be blank for the whole of it. And then on the last page, it's going to say, and then ask for the business. Yeah. So it, I, I get I get it, but I, I, this is again one of those chapters where I think well, did you, I don't think he could have written he could have written five five lines, God, yeah. and the and the five lines could have been shut up, fam, shut up, and try and work out why the client's asking the question. Too many metaphors in the book as well. You read the one about Nancy and the seagull. You don't like the metaphors because you're not a man that thinks in metaphors, but actually most people. I'm quite often explaining metaphor actually, um, but I just think there's just too many. You know, this Nancy's father about the seagull. Oh, yeah, yeah. I felt like I was listening, listening to Eric Cantona. Can you remember Eric Cantona? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seagulls follows a troll here. Um, uh, then he goes on about... Just remind me about the story with the seagulls. Oh, so uh, so this little girl called Nancy paints a picture. The art teacher goes, that's a good picture, but then puts a seagull in it. Uh, so then she starts crying. Then she goes home, shows it to her dad. Her dad said, that's a nice picture. I like the seagull. Then she starts crying. And she goes on and on and on. And basically... Uh, his point is that Nancy was bothered because somebody saw something else that she didn't quite what it's got to do with selling her absolutely no idea and so it's a complete waste of time. I think the point he's trying to make in the metaphor is don't give don't put extra information in the picture that you don't need to put in. Because then you might that's not relevant to the matter at hand. Because then you might hurt number. Yeah. And the whole point he's trying to make is if you give information, you're putting seagulls in the picture, 
that the customer might not have wanted there. You know, what a long-winded way of saying it. And, and in fact, it's an extremely long-winded way of saying, don't sell, don't sell features and benefits that the client's not interested in. Why don't you try and find out what the client's interested in? Exactly. And then sell them only what that That's which true. they're interested in. So it was a very long-winded metaphor. But, but what I did like, and what I do think is very useful for me as a salesperson, and it, and it, it was a little kick at the bum for me, was to, to, to go back to getting deeper in my calls. Yes, sir, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah. And in, in Chapter 7... Oh, we're not we're, quite we're, finished we're, Chapter 6, actually. But in Chapter 7, which you... I know you, you, I don't think you got a chance to read yesterday. I went on to Chapter 7 yesterday. Well, that wasn't my instruction. My instruction was to read Chapter <laughs> 5 and 6. So I read 5 and 6. There's a lot of talk about questioning technique and stuff, which I, I've got a lot of opinion on for next time we talk. Um, but I do think that whole concept of just listening intently to the words that have been said and then actually cog consciously being aware of the words that came out of the prospect's mouth and then wondering what was behind those words and asking yourself why, or maybe even the prospect, I thought was very useful. I think the way in which he's talking about doing it is a little bit inelegant. Well, I'll tell you what. For the modern context. Well, well, here's the thing is, you're a 21-year-old salesperson just left university. Would you give him this book? Oh, no way. Because, I think you need gravitas. Too complicated. Well, you just need experience. And I think you need. I think the whole that's an interest, interesting question. You must have asked that for a reason. You give a rookie that, they're going to rub some clients up the wrong way. Not most of them. Most experienced clients, they won't. They they wouldn't rub up it, rub somebody up in a B two C world, but they wouldn't in a B two B world. Yes, I think you get away with it in B two C or low level B two B. Yeah, you know, if, you, if if for example you were selling tallies and curries, and somebody said, "How big's that?" And he said, I'm not sure why he asked. Oh, because I'm not sure whether it'll fit on my, on my lounge wall or something. Actually, I think it could enough. be really useful. But I think in high-level B2B, you're going to rub a few people. Oh, up. definitely, yeah. Particularly some very strong type A personalities are going to be because I asked you. The last thing I've done in this chapter was, this is about the third sales book that I've ever read, not on this series, but that I've ever read that really likes Columbo. Do we need to start watching Columbo? Clearly. Well, I've never watched Columbo. Which other book to mention Columbo? Uh, I'm sure The Wolf of Wall Street did. And I'm sure and Let's it, Get it, Real or Let's Not Play did. I'm pretty sure the likability factor has. And he talks about Columbo. And what his point is about Columbo is no one sees Columbo coming because he's scruffy and he's got a cigar and he sort of shuffles along. Now, actually, there's a couple of salespeople I've worked with in my career who have been brilliantly successful, who are incredibly stealthy in their approach and their style. Yeah, I mean, it's right, isn't it? Ages ago, years and years and years ago, uh, I played golf with this with a guy who's dead now because uh, he, he was old and I was in my 20s. And it, there was a guy on the golf course and we were talking about him and he said, he's smart, that one. He never lets people know how smart he is. Yes. And I thought, that's a, and that, that came back into my head when I read this. I thought, yeah, smart. Yeah, uh, so I, I kind of like that. So how do you think that clashes then with the Wolf of Wall Street who says... Shiny suit, shiny shoes. What do you reckon? Because they're, they're two very conflicting points, aren't they? One, one saying, Wolf of Wall Street saying, turn up. I'd say it was interesting, actually. So I've sorted a bit of stuff out. Turn up, tell them you're a salesman. So Admit it. Tell them you're there to sell them. Because I sort of agree with Wolf of Wall Street. Whereas actually our boy Sandler, what he's really saying is, turn up with your shoes unpolished. Yeah, it looks scruffy. And you're, 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 look you're, like Columbo, be unassuming. 
don't let them know. Don't make it hard for them to work out who you are. Play that, you know. Play, play the dummy. Play the dummy. Make it hard for them to work out who you are. Make it hard for them to work out if you're a sales guy or not. Yeah, that's what he's saying. Now, what's interesting is my financial advisor. I've been talking this weekend. Actually, he's got Panerai, so that's seven grand watch minimum. He's got an RS4, that's a sixty thousand pound car. And actually, you've you've met him, Dom. And actually, I like dealing with Dom because I think. He's successful because he makes money. And I like that. Yeah, he makes money for his clients. But your financial advisor, you want one of two financial advisor personality types, don't you? Well, you do, because that's how you buy. It, you want to meet either Mr. Pruden. Yes. Mr. Pruden or Mr. That's right, I'm making loads of money and I'm going to make you loads of money. That's Doc, that's mine. That's what he does. He, he might watch And it's almost now. like sell, selling personas, isn't it? And so actually, who do our clients want to buy from then? Well, it's interesting because well, obviously we've got a former employee who plays Mr. I've got loads of money. Yeah, and he ain't got any. And <laughs> he ain't got any. Uh, who do our clients' clients want to buy off? So I remember a lady. So who do our customers' customers yeah, so, want to so buy Yeah, so I remember a lady. You'll know her name. I can't remember her name now. She was in Nazareth, Brian. Yeah, there you go. And I'm sure she had two cars, she yeah. told me. And she, she used to work for Fujitsu. It had a Porsche in real life, but then some yeah. hacks out. She's a very high earn. I mean, this is late nineties, turn of the millennium. Um, she's probably really, retired now. Really sharp cookie. Um, and she used to drive to. She sold to public sector. That's right, yeah, that's right. And the persona that they met in public sector was eighty quid suit, cheap dog-eared handbag. Uh, yeah, exactly. Biro. Yeah. The persona that worked inside. The turn up at Howard Jackson turned up in a 911 with a Mont Blanc. With a Mont Blanc and a, and a thousand pound handbag. Yeah, correct. Um, and is that what he's saying here? Yeah, I think it might be. I think that's what he's saying is why Why would you let him see And that's my point about it. I hated Chapter 6 until I read the Columbo thing and then I thought, I get his point actually. But I wonder what our clients would want to see. Do they want to see, you know, a, a salesperson? I only have blue suits in case anybody hasn't noticed. Uh, in a blue suit with leather sole shoes. Interesting story. I remember, remember when we first started the business and I drove a P-registered Fiat Bravo. I can remember that. Yeah. Right. It broke down on Woodall Roundabout. <laughs> <laughs> so I drove this P-registered Fiat Bravo when we first started the business. I mean, we were short of cash. We, oh, we, we toughed it out. It was literally just after Northern Rocky Flats. Um, and I remember I, got, I went to see a client in the P-registered Fiat Bravo and I drove 100 Who was it miles. reading? I can't remember who it was. Oh, I bet it was Sneller that replaced the yes, new seats. Top and uh, I went to see him, did some work for him. Lovely, I got the placement, it was great. The next time I went back in the P registered Fiat Bravo, it was about four months later, he said, Still in the little uh, cheap car that you're using. And I went, Yeah, he said, It's not cute anymore. Good, sad one. And he's looked me straight in the eye, went, It's not cute anymore. Now I'm worried you're not making any money. Fair comment. Yeah, I'm not worried. I'm worried you're not, but I think it was something like, Now I'm worried you're just not really good at this. Um, so, I think there's a balance, isn't there? Do you want to turn up at a, a client's appointment in a better car than your client? Well, it's tough with some of our clients, isn't it? Yeah, there's a fair <laughs> point. And do you want to be wearing a better suit? Now, I think the, the point is, I think you've got to look like you're a winner in life, but equally, I don't know, maybe we should try it. My mate Heidi, right? Maybe I should go my, my a brown suit. You've met Heidi, the property guy. Yeah. He's got this theatre, I mean, he's a big guy, six foot three, you know, you've met a big unit and all the rest of it. Yeah. He's got this, he's, you know, he's in property and he's got this this theory. And I sort of I don't know whether it's right or not, but he's got this theory, he said, there's a lot of machismo in the property sector, Mike. He said, 
first thing they do is look at your watch. Second thing they do is look at your shoes. Third thing they do is try and look at the inside lens of your suit. Really? That's what he reckons it. And he said, if you haven't got the first three, they know they can beat you up. Oh, really? Now, he's an, an oddity because he's obviously massive, so he's slightly different. And he's got the whole cauliflower ear, squishy yeah. nose, ex-England rugby player thing. But, you know, you wonder about that, don't you? If there's certain persona types, and maybe that's why you and I are stronger in certain markets. Yeah. Right, I think that's been actually... I've saved chapter six, haven't I? Considering, when we've just had a coffee before we kicked off, how, oh, God, yeah, that was rubbish. Actually, now we're on camera and how we've given it some debate and some thought. It's actually sparked a lot of thought. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try dummying up. You don't. Visually. You don't. No chance you don't. I'm going to go out by brown map like Columbo. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> you don't do it. Do you not reckon? Do you reckon I'm, I'm all talking no trousers? 100%. I think there's also a point of being congruent. I'm personally congruent with wearing blue suits. I'm looking at it. I don't care what the other person's wearing. I see a client, I have to wear a suit. I don't know how to not wear a suit. To I don't care what they wear. They can turn up in the pyjamas, it doesn't bother me. As long as they're congruent, I'm congruent, who cares? Because actually, the two people who, are, if one was incongruent with themselves, how hard are they to communicate? Bad, bad. You can't sell anything if you're incongruent. Well, you can't communicate, can you? You know you've met people, I've met people, particularly in, in, in social situations, where you think they're incongruent with this social situation, therefore they're awkward, therefore they're hard to get on with. So if you turn up to a client in a brown suit, you'll be personally incongruent and therefore you'll fail. Well, I'll look like I'm trying to look unassuming. Yes. It's the reality, won't I? So, yeah, great. Very interesting couple of chapters. Next ones we're going to do chapters seven and eight. Um, and we'll see you in a week for that. Thank you.